Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. I want to talk to you this morning about living a life on mission. Life on mission. Turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, we're, we're going to jump into that, into this this morning. Because we are on a mission. We are on a mission. And Pastor Anna said so aptly earlier, we are the army of God. Her not knowing that part one of this message is entitled the army of God. The army of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 is where we're going to start. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet only so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Father, we thank you for your word that it is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is active in this very room this morning. Holy Ghost, I am so aware and conscious of your presence in this room this morning. And I thank you that the anointing that makes preaching easy is in the room this morning. And that, Father, yokes will be destroyed this morning. That your word will accomplish that which you've sent it to do. And that we would be transformed In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, in context here, is speaking to a church group that has division, jealousy, immorality, and in general, issues. How many of you know people with issues? You should raise your hand if you've ever looked in the mirror. But in seeking to bring the church together, He wants to deal with the issues. And he makes some important statements that I believe are the foundation of where we are headed as a church to live a life on mission. He says these things regarding the nature of how the Christian walk should be worked out. In a classic passage, I mean this passage has been preached time and time again. He sets out the idea of the different roles we each play in the work of God. Then hits this statement in verse 13. Each man's work will become evident. In applying it, in making it clear, we each have a work to do with regard to the work of God. Every single one of us. And here is a true statement that I think for too long the church has not lived by or become cognizant of the fact that that work will be evaluated and judged by God. And to get everyone properly focused, he says this in verse 16. Do you not know 
that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So let's put this in another context. He is saying, you don't have a basis for boasting about yourself. What you do, how gifted you are, all of the work and ministry you've done because you ultimately are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and it is about how we each surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. In any way, anything of lasting value is Holy Spirit. We can't boast in and of ourselves. Early on in in my upbringing in the Holy Ghost, I watched two women persevere through incredible trial. Berdella Tucker, who some of you have met, and Mary Rancheria, who who is an incredible intercessor. And I, I watched them move by the Holy Ghost. I watched them minister to people. I sat under ministries like Bobby Jean Merck, who is now in her 90s, still ministering out of Toccoa, Georgia, who, who would stand before people and the Lord would download things and she would say, I can't do this on my own. Because if I do, I would not be serving Jesus. I would be serving myself. I watched these women and these men who, who walked in the Spirit of God. And in fact, it was in this that Holy Spirit activity was burned into my heart. It became part of my DNA. And with that meant that the call and work of God was of paramount importance. I laid down opportunities to see the world early on because I was called. Because I recognized that there was a call on my life. And when there is a call on your life, you have to separate yourself from what others can do. But it was that aspect of Christianity, that Holy Spirit DNA, the work, the call of God, the destiny and purpose of God that was of my primary concern, that I might live a life that was surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And so it should be for every believer. And the questions is, what has God called you for? What has God destined you for? What is the work of God you've been called to function in? But let me say this, because I want to dispel something. Ministry is not a pulpit. Ministry is not a vocation. Ministry is not a business card. It is not a role in the church. And it took me years to understand that. To understand that people don't have to be in ministry to be in ministry. But I finally realized that people are called to do the work of God in business, in community, in employment, in their homes, as well as the church. Because I knew too many PKs who had great pastors, but terrible fathers. Because the work of God wasn't happening at home. The work of God was happening in the pulpit. And and the Bible's clear, that will be judged. Now for me, the work of God for my life was the pulpit. And let me tell you, it would be easier for me to go do something else. But it wouldn't be fulfilling. Because when you discover where you're called and what you're called to, that's where the greatest fulfillment in life comes from, is because you're doing the work of God that you have been called to. 
And whatever the knowledge and conviction regarding the call of God, it has been a preeminent and focused issue of my life. And that is what I want to share with you for the next seven weeks is that we are on a mission. And regardless of our rank and file in the army of God, each one of you are on a mission. And we are called to live life on mission. Because once we are called... It will be expressed no matter what. There will always be a work to be done for God. And let me tell you, if you've come to know Jesus, you're called. And here's another reality. Even if you haven't, you're called. I want to put it another way. Turning your Bible to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. I love this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite I know I say that all the time, but it is. I have lots of favorites. Which one of your children is your favorite? All of them. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Here's here's one of my favorite verses, and I genuinely mean this. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, your youth to you are as the dew. That verse 3, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. You want to get people moving and doing something? Walk in the power of God. Because I can guarantee you, wherever there is Holy Spirit activity, people will grab hold of it. It Makes it clear, when this is Holy Spirit power, is around us people will volunteer their gifts and service because the work of the Holy Spirit always takes people toward purpose and destiny for our lives. The Holy Spirit always questions us regarding our work and activity. If you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to search you and know you, you are far from God. I'm going to preach some hard things this morning because I feel that we are to go to the next level. If there is compromise in your life this morning, deal with it. If you are not walking holy, deal with it. If you've got sin that is unrepentant in your life, deal with it. You can't live in the world and be of the world. I was talking to to someone uh, over Facebook. I'd seen their post. And she wrote about how she'd gone on this date with an atheist. And that her intention was to missionary date. I've never seen it work. I've never seen people go trying to win the lost by building a soul tie with them and rescue them. It don't work. You end up in compromise. I've never seen people say, well, I'm just going to go have, have some drinks with this guy to try and win him to the Lord. Because what they then begin to realize is, oh, you're just like me. We can hang out and I don't need to change. I don't need your Jesus. You need my alcohol. Happens every time because that's what compromise does when we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of us and challenge us and question us. We're all on a mission. Psalm 110, back to the context. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. What is the context here? Warfare. The context is the kingdom of God having rulership over our lives. So when we put this together, our work relates to bringing the kingdom of God to earth to bring rulership over the works of darkness. Our platform in life is warfare. That's, that is normalcy for the believer. Warfare. Now, I don't ascribe to some of these people who go around saying, well, I just had to fight the devil all night, every night. You are living a defeated life. If you're having to fight the devil in your home every night, that means he has residence there. The devil doesn't show up in my house every night. And when he does, I'm like Smith Wigglesworth. Oh, it's you, and I roll over. Now, have I had demons show up in my house? Of course. Have I had to do some warfare? Yes. But that is not my norm in the sense that I'm always fighting demons. What my norm is, is that my warfare is always taking territory because the Lord is making the enemy my footstool. He becomes my resting place. I take a seat, put my feet up, have dinner while the enemy sits under my feet. Psalm 23, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So when I recline back, eat my KFC, the devil is under my feet. And some of you need to make that shift and recognize you've been fighting the wrong thing for too long. It's time to get it out of you, get it out of you, get it out of you, and get him in you so that you can start overcoming what's around you. <clears throat> but here's the next aspect, is that in order to take territory, we have to do it together. For too long, people fight on their own, and so they get centimeters. They get sent. Well, I, I only have a headache one day a week now. Turn in your Bible to Joel chapter 2. We're covering Scripture this morning. Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. says this, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, indeed it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. I want you to hear this this morning. There is a great and mighty people. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame devours. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses so they run. With a noise as a noise of chariots, they leap about on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, they consume the stubble, like a mighty people drawn up for battle. Hear that. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. It's time for the enemy to lose the blood out of his face. They run like warriors. They climb the wall like soldiers, and each of them marches in line. Nor do they lose their way. They do not crowd each other. Stay in your lane. 
Every warrior of them marches in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. Unity. They storm the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon become dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. This is the Lord's army. His camp is indeed very great. For mighty is one who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Yet even now declares to the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning. What an incredible passage. I could preach on every verse of that passage for weeks and we wouldn't get out of it. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to say is our togetherness is as an army at war. That's what we're called to do, to walk together because we're on a mission. When Ezekiel was taken in vision to a valley full of dry bones and God used him to bring prophetic revelation and ultimately life to the bones, what did he see? He saw an exceedingly great army. Always projected was the idea, the church, you, the church is called to be many things. But one of the most important was an army, trained, gifted, called, and directed toward mission. We used to sing that song as a kid. I may never march in the infantry, shoot the artillery, fly with, ride with the cavalry, whatever it says. But I'm in the Lord's army, right? How many of you remember that? Why don't you live it? Because that's what we're called to do. The church marching in step together, each having found their place of connection, each understanding authority and leadership, each willing to die for the cause. I'm telling you, I am so tired of sissified Western Christianity that can't even show up for a church service, let alone die for Jesus. We can't commit to a prayer meeting, but, and we say we'll die for Jesus. Let the gun come and let's watch. It's coming to America, folks. I am not joking with everything in me. You better learn what it is to work the work of God while it is still day because night is coming. And if you're not ready, I'm not doing your funeral. I feel feisty this morning. My wife is looking at me. Oh, thank you, honey. I'll get back to my notes. Each knowing they are not meant to just live and exist, but to fulfill great missions. The mission is yours if you choose to accept it. We are called to live life on mission. And the one principle I believe to be a key to overcoming faith is that the area of greatest strength is the area of greatest warfare. When we understand that the area of our greatest strength is going to be the area of our greatest warfare because we are in a war. There was a great book written by uh, George Bloomer years ago called We Are in a War. And when we understand that, you have a real enemy. I don't care that Hollywood has, has uh, romanticized the demonic and made it appealing to people to go and get scared. We have a real enemy. Demons are real. You were puking them up yesterday on this floor. 
No, thankfully in buckets. But as I was doing deliverance, I could see them coming out. They're real. We have a real enemy. And we've got to stop making people our enemy. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. When I sit across from someone in conflict, I recognize two things. There's a spirit in operation and there's brokenness in their heart that needs healed. Therefore, I need to not take offense to what they have said. When I'm in business dealings and I'm recognizing that they're not going the way that I need them to go, I recognize I'm fighting a real enemy. It's not this person that doesn't like me. It's a devil that doesn't like me. And I've got to shift back into my authority and begin to take the land that God promised me and destined me because I'm not going to surrender. The area of greatest strength will be your area of greatest warfare. The mission for each person always revolves around your gifting and calling. Therefore, the enemy will attack our gifting. If you've got a ministry to families, you better believe your family's going to go through some junk. If you've got a ministry for deliverance, you better recognize you're going to battle some demons. <clears throat> Therefore, the enemy attacks at our gifting, the point of our greatest strength. So though we are in a war together, we do face it individually. Where the Lord uses us, where the devil would attack us. But that's why we need the body, because we need to war for each other. That's why corporate prayer on Saturday mornings is so essential. It is the engine of the church. It is what drives our mission. It is the fuel for the mission. Without getting filled up, I can't pour out. Without hearing his voice, I can't speak on his behalf. I want to give you two scriptures. You don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. We need some church folk to rise up. Stop being weaklings. We were talking with <clears throat> some friends of ours this week and they were telling us how they administered to this particular person who had been in ministry. And this person said, well, I've never really been strong at decrees and de declaring things. You better learn how to decree and declare some things. You better get the Word of God in you and get it coming <clears throat> out of you. Be on the alert. Be aware. People say to me, well, Pastor Jake, why do you go to the church late at night and pray? That just seems weird. I'm on alert. I'm up. I'm aware. I know what the enemy could do, and I'm not going to let him. I'm aware. I'm alert. Stand firm in the faith. How do you overcome things? Stand. And having done all to stand, stand. I don't care that death is looking me in the face. You were defeated at the cross. I don't live for victory. I live from victory. I've got the understanding and the revelation. Victory already belongs to me. So cancer, diabetes, lymphedema, I don't care what the hell it is that is coming against me. Hell has no power. It got nailed to the cross with Jesus. He said, death, where is your sting? You have been overcome. You've been defeated. He led captivity captive and he made a public show of every principality and power. I don't care what demon it is. There are more angels in heaven. They are not reproducing demons. They're defeated and you need to get on the right side of the cross. Here's the second verse. 1 Peter 5, 8 Be of sober spirit. 
Stop drinking the Kool-Aid of your flesh. What does sober mean? Not drunk. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I am so tired of big devil and little God. We've got a big God, little devil. Big God, little devil. So he prowls around like a roaring lion. He isn't a roaring lion. Very first message I ever preached, July 17th, 1998, I was eight years old. I said, you need to understand something. The devil's got dentures and they fell out. (laughs) Amen, Barbara. We walk around like the enemy's got these great big fangs. They're dentures. The best he could do is gum you to death. (laughs) But let me tell you something. It is no coincidence that where you thought you would be successful is where you discover is the place of greatest battle. The place where you thought you would excel the best, that's where you're going to find the place of your greatest battle. That's where the enemy will fight you with his dentures. But let me say this. There is an issue with ignorance when we ignore the source of the attack. We can be ignorant concerning the the enemy's ways. But Ephesians 6.16 says this. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Here's here's something that, that I just, it irks me like nobody's business. Is when we pretend like the enemy's behind us. He has no permission to be behind us. The blood of Jesus covers your past. So every attack comes from the front and faith is what you hold up to quench. All he's got is little darts. Little blow. And we're like, oh, he's got a whole arsenal. No, it says take up the shield of faith so you can quench the fiery darts of the evil one. How do they come? Wrong thinking. How do they come? Negative personal attitudes. You know, I I, I give the word of faith movement a hard time sometimes because of all their unbalanced prosperity stuff. But you know what? They know how to war with the word of God. They, the, the, the Word of Faith movement taught us something about taking the Word of God and knowing how to war with it. It taught us about changing our thinking. That we've got to stop thinking like we're defeated. You know, we spit on the face of Jesus whenever we live defeated. We look at Him on the cross and we go, not good enough. Let me go live defeated. Let me, let me go live over here. Listen, your situation may not change, but your attitude can. Your circumstances may not change, but how you view them can. So even when my situation doesn't line up with my destiny, my destiny is what dictates how I respond to my situation. So my pocketbook might be empty, but God says I've been called to lend to nations and not borrow. The church bank account might be low, but He said we're preparing for an overflow. We may not have space for the children, but we're going to keep them coming anyways. We might only have two bathrooms. Line up. Just get ready. Change your attitude and do a little dance if you need to. 
How do the arrows come? They come when mistakes that seem to just happen. Have you ever had that? Weird coincidences. Sudden unexplained changes around us, especially with people. Oh, why did they talk to me that way? Do they not like me anymore? Did I offend them? No, they had to go to the bathroom in the church with only two bathrooms. But here's what happens is frequently these arrows stop us from operating in our gift and calling. And many give up. They just give up. It's just easier to go back to bed. It's just easier to lay down and take it. No! I'm not going to lay down and take it. Hell, no! Because I stand on this scripture. Revelation 2.26 He who overcomes, hear this, and who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. We are called to be prevailers over atmospheres, attack, and spiritual opposition. But in doing so, the result is spiritual authority. And with greater authority comes greater victory over demonic strongholds and controls. And with that, greater impact you will have in the realm of your influence. He who overcomes. Revelation 2.26. So how do we overcome? Give you three keys and then I'm going to close. I'm going to close with three keys. That's a better way to say that. Number one, confess the gift of God. Number one, confess the gift of God. Place faith upon the gift. I often... Letting in to my own insecurities and where the enemy attacks me. I often will walk these floors and say, I'm a good pastor. I'm called as a good pastor. I've been called to pastor people. I love people well. I'm gifted as a pastor. I'm gifted as a pastor to this community. I'm gifted as a pastor to this church. I'm gifted as a pastor to these people. I'm gifted to bring people out of their darkness. I'm gifted to help bring people out of their bondage. I begin to confess the gift of God. I begin to confess and declare. And all of a sudden, those insecurities start to go away at the cross. The second thing is you do need to rebuke the demonic spirits that attack. I often will stand. I commend every spirit of division to go. I commend every spirit of offense to go. I commend every spirit of witchcraft to go. When I'm walking through a situation that I can't explain, I begin to rebuke the enemy. Because I've been given that authority through the Word of God. And then the third thing is I always look for ways and places to defy the demonic attack. What do I mean by that? The enemy attacks me, I attack back with greater ferocity via my gifting and calling. Miracle I prayed for doesn't happen. I pray for another miracle. Someone speaks badly about me. I sow into their ministry. Bless those who curse you. Don't go curse and gossip about them to every person in town. You know what they did to me? I don't want to know. Bless them. I had someone one time. I was on a tour. I was speaking at a church. And they act, the, the, the pastor of the church accidentally texted me something bad he was saying about me. And I had two choices in that moment. I could cancel the meeting. I could respond, tell him everything I thought about him and his ministry. 
or I could bless those who curse me. I walked into that meeting. He recognized what he had done. And he tried to, I said, I don't, it's okay. You don't have to explain anything. We're here about Jesus. I got up. I honored that man of God. I honored his church. I preached like I would preach to thousands. Prayed for every person in that building. And at the end of it, the Lord said, so a particular amount. I said, God, that's more than they're going to give me this morning. The Lord said, so. Don't give it to him. Give it to his wife. And I said, God, she was the one he was texting about something she had said about me. She doesn't like me, God. He said, that's exactly why you need to take that amount. And I said, God, I don't, I only have X amount in my, in my ministry account. And he said, remember what's in your briefcase. And someone had handed me an envelope in a meeting I'd forgotten about. And I reached in my briefcase and I had $500 in this envelope. And I said, God. And he said, if you don't do this, everything that was accomplished will burn. Because it will be an unworthy sacrifice. But if you'll sow, it'll be a worthy sacrifice. So I went up to the pastor's wife and took this envelope and I said, I just, I just really wanted to bless you and thank you for inviting me. She started to cry. She said, why would you do this? I said, because I want to bless you. Because I had to make the choice that that's what I wanted to do. So I just want to bless you. I just want to honor you for your faithfulness in this church. And that even though you don't take the pulpit and you, you do a lot behind the scenes and the Lord said to bless you. She began to cry. And she said, you know, I had listened to one of your messages and I took this out of context and da-da-da-da-da. And I've said some things about you and I'm really, really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. In that moment, I didn't know she was battling stomach cancer. And the Lord instantly healed her. Because the Lord will take what was meant for evil and He'll turn it for good. We so often give up in the fight because we take offense to something. We're in a war. He who overcomes. Hear this. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus this morning, maybe you did a long time ago, but you want to recommit your life to him. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Following Jesus, making Him Lord, surrendering your life to Him, greatest decision a human heart can ever make. Ephesians chapter 2 says He's a God rich in mercy. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity. A couple things that we need to do. You need to believe that He is Lord, that He died for your sins and He resurrected. Then you need to confess that you have sinned and repent. Repent is two things. There's an apology attached to it. But it really means to change the way you think about your sin. I'm going to stop thinking this way about life. I'm going to stop thinking 
that this is okay. And you dedicate your life to following him. You pick up your cross and you follow him. So if that's you this morning, I want you to slip up your hand. You want to follow Jesus this morning. Rededicate your life to him this morning. Maybe you're watching by live stream. In just a moment, as a church, we're going to collectively pray this prayer. It doesn't save you. Jesus who saves you. And the intentional choice of following him keeps you saved. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I've sinned. I've messed up. And I've been far from you. But today, I choose to follow you. Give you every part of me. I repent and I change my mind. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www.equippingchurch.us.